the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. BN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in Newport. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Providence is the way God works behind the scenes to accomplish His will. And His will is to preserve the people of Israel. So how does this all fit in? Listen, if Haman is not superstitious, then he makes a simple, intelligent, military decision, and he attacks the Jewish people in a few days or even a few weeks. But he doesn't do that. If he does that, the Jewish people are wiped out from a human standpoint. But he is superstitious, and in the providence of God, the lot falls upon a day in the month of Adar. Does God work through superstitions and even occult practices to accomplish his plans? Welcome back to Verse by Verse with Steve Kreloff. We are just about in the middle of a series of messages that Steve preached, taken from the book of Esther. We have already seen God use some unexpected things to work his plan in this story. And today we'll see something even more surprising. So let's get right to the message. Here's Pastor Steve. Our study tonight is in the Old Testament book of Esther. We believe that the proper way to study Esther is in its historical Jewish context. We're not trying to spiritualize it. We're not trying to say that this person represents this other person and this person represents this. We really want to take it from the intent of how God meant it. And that's what we've been doing. And we've been seeing that the message of Esther is God's preservation of the nation of Israel, how he protects her. Now, there's a lot of things happening around here these days. But, you know, our Jewish friends have some things coming up. And one thing they have coming up, our Jewish friends will celebrate the annual feast of Purim. P-U-R-I-M, Purim. They will read at that time the Old Testament book of Esther, which is called the Megillah. They will read that in their synagogues. And every time Haman's name is mentioned, you know what's going to happen? A lot of noise. Children are going to stamp their feet. They're going to take out rattles or noisemakers and twirl them round and around and round. And then they're going to boo. Every time, every time this man's name Haman's name comes up, they're going to make a lot of noise. It goes on every year. Every year it takes place. Now, what did, what did Haman do to deserve such treatment? How did he become so unpopular? In Esther, Haman is called the enemy of the Jews five times. He is not a, a popular person in Israel. He is hated. He is looked down upon because he plotted to wipe out the nation of Israel. But God would not allow him to do that. 
God would not allow him to wipe out his people. And that's the message of Esther, the preservation of Israel through providence. He that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. In a German encyclopedia that was published during the reign of Adolf Hitler, the words appear, which says, in less than 100 years, the Jewish problem will be solved. The race will simply have disappeared. In Cairo, there's a slab of granite with these words of one of the pharaohs written 3,000 years ago on it. It says, Israel is annihilated. Israel will have no posterity. You know what? The pharaoh is gone. Hitler is gone. Haman is gone. But Israel continues to exist and will continue to exist until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to rescue her at the end of the tribulation and set up his kingdom with her involved. And he will redeem Israel. Romans chapter 11 says the redeemer shall come out of Zion and they will be saved. All Israel will be saved. The nation will embrace him. He will rescue Israel both physically and also spiritually. Now, because God has promised to preserve his people, he's going to go to great lengths to do this. There have been times he has intervened in the miraculous sense. However, in the book of Esther, we don't find the miraculous. We find providence at work. We find God working behind the scenes to preserve his people. We find God doing things that are incredible, but they're not out of the ordinary. God is using the very ordinary, mundane things of life to bring about his will, as we'll see in the book of Esther. Now, we said a number of weeks ago that we could see this through the promotion of Esther. Uh, That's the first thing that we begin to, uh, first place really, where we begin to see the hand of God working behind the stage of human events in this promotion of Esther. Esther was a Jewess, a Jewish lady. She was a beautiful Jewish woman, but there appears to be no spiritual interest that this woman had. She doesn't mention God at all. She never speaks about her longing to be in Jerusalem like the other Jewish people and uh, have and did and, and should have. She never speaks about prayer. She never speaks about the uh, animal sacrifices. She never speaks about the temple. None of this. She is basically a disobedient Jewish woman, disobedient because she should have desired to be back in the land of Israel. She became very satisfied, apparently, living in Persia, and probably she grew up in Persia, and she didn't want to go back in spite of the fact that God, through Isaiah the prophet, through Jeremiah the prophet, said, go back, establish the land again. She said, no. In spite of her sin, though, and in spite of her disobedience, in spite of her direct violation of the will and the word of God and being interested in being the queen of Persia and having sexual relations with a man before she was married and being married also to a pagan, ungodly man and also eating non-kosher foods, in spite of all of her sin, God elevated her to a position of queen over the strongest empire at that time, the empire of Persia. A Jewish woman disobedient, unconcerned about the will of God, has been put in a place of prominence. She's been promoted to be, as we said, the queen over Persia. But why? Because God has overruled her sin and has her in the place where he wants her. In spite of the fact that she's probably not a child of God, in spite of the fact that God has overruled and he that keeps Israel has not been sleeping and has been overruling even the disobedience of Esther. And all of this we see the promotion of Esther. He has this woman in the place he wants her to be in order to accomplish his will. 
And then we also noted, as we began to look at the plot of Haman, that the, the, the plot of Haman, in that, we see the tracing of the hand of God through all of this. Haman hates the Jewish people. He must have always hated the Jewish people. Satan has obviously influenced his heart. He is what we would call anti-Semitic, a hater of Jewish people, a hater of Israel. He hates the people of Israel, and his hatred has been intensified by this one Jewish man's refusal to bow down to him, and that's Mordecai, the cousin of Esther. Mordecai has basically raised Esther. We don't know how all this took place, but he did raise her, and Mordecai now refuses to bow down to Haman, the only, and he's the only man who refuses to do this, apparently the only man in the kingdom. And that presents a problem, a, a real problem in this book, because Haman seizes upon the rebellion of Mordecai, and uh, it is rebellion. It is rebellion. I don't think that Mordecai was concerned that this was idolatry if he bowed down. I don't see any indication in the word of God that Mordecai was a godly Jewish man concerned about godly things. Now, I think he was a man who was controlled by national pride, and he refused as a Jew to bow down to a pagan. But I don't see this for religious reasons. He, didn't, he just didn't like Haman, and Haman didn't like him, and so there's a conflict. And the conflict issues now, it issues out into anti-Semitism. It results in that. It's a hatred of the Jewish people. And we begin to see this come to the forefront in the book of Esther. As I said, anti-Semitism is really satanic. The devil has always tried to wipe out Israel to destroy the people of God while they were slaves in Egypt. That was the first attempt that we know of that we see in Scripture to wipe out the Jewish people. And why? Why? So that the Messiah would not come through the Jewish people. That's always been Satan's uh, plan. If he could wipe out the whole race, then he could wipe out the coming of Messiah. And that's what he's tried to do. In Persia, the devil is now trying to use Haman to do this again. Being that he didn't succeed the first time, he's going to try it a second time. And Satan has hounded Israel all of these years, even after the Messiah came. Satan still has not given up taking his vengeance out upon the ancient people of God because they have brought forth the Son of God. Now, last time we saw that Mordecai, in connection with this, is sitting in the king's gate, which was the place where politicians were gathered. He was probably a judge, and he's just sitting there, and he overhears an assassination attempt, that is, a plot to kill the king. Now, this wasn't out of the ordinary. It Frankly, it happened a great deal of the time. In fact, we're told that if you really wanted to keep up with the kingdom news, uh, you'd pick up a newspaper every day in, in that world, and you could see the next person trying to kill the king, so to speak. I don't know if they had newspapers then, but it was just almost daily news. Somebody was trying to kill the king. Just a common occurrence. And that's why later on in the story, we'll find out that the king did not let just anybody into his presence. Esther goes into his presence, and, or tries to at least, and she says, if I perish, I perish. And she says that because she's not allowed, nor is anyone allowed, to come into the king's presence unless the king granted you permission. And the reason that he did this was because the king didn't trust anybody, because everybody seems to be after his life. In fact, we know from history that that is the way that Xerxes died. He was assassinated, so he didn't trust anyone so that assassination attempts and plots were quite common in 
that day. But Mordecai overhears one of these assassination attempts, and he tells Esther, and Esther tells the king, and all is laid to rest, except that this very event is going to be used of, of God to bring about the preservation of his people, and we'll see that we'll see this as we get into our studies in, in days to, to come. But we're seeing now that the hand of God is used in the ordinary and, and is really controlling the ordinary events of life. Now today, we're going to see God's hand once again as he moves around behind the scenes as Haman plots to destroy the Jewish people. So we're looking at Haman. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 7, which says, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, or as we said, his name is, is Xerxes. That's another name for him. But Xerxes is, is really uh, the name in, in Greek. Ahasuerus is probably his title, like uh, Pharaoh or, uh, or Caesar. Uh, and then we read Pur. We, we read about Pur, that is, the lot was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the 12th month, that is, the month Adar. Now, this is fascinating. Frankly, it's incredible. In fact, we can give a whole message based on this truth alone. Let me tell you what's happening here. After determining that he's going to destroy all of the Jewish people, and that is what Haman has determined, he now decides when it would be the best date, the right date for this venture to take place. I mean, he's already decided that he's going to kill Israel, just wipe them off the face of the earth. So now he's got to pick a date for this. So he casts lots to determine the day. Now the Babylonian word for lot is pur, P-U-R. This is where we get the Feast of Purim. But Purim, you should understand it simply means lot, is the Feast of Lots. In other words, Haman is throwing dice. That's what a lot is. He's throwing dice. Archaeologists have uncovered dice in that part of the world and seen that this was a practice in the ancient East. So Haman is throwing dice in order to come up with his lucky day for exterminating the Jewish people. That is exactly what's happening. So when you see the word per or perim or lot, it just simply means dice. Now apparently what happened was that Haman had his astrologers and and magicians cast a lot or dice over the course of of one day, and they probably did this on a large calendar. I don't know how this exactly looked, but maybe just put a huge calendar down in front of them, and they're just casting dice to determine the right day for the destruction of Israel, the right day that the dice would fall on, so they would know that's the day they should carry out this venture. Now, how they came up with this day, uh, I don't know, but they came up with it. Now, you may wonder, why would Haman do this? I mean, isn't this man brighter than that? Why would he do something like this? Well, we know that ancient Persian leaders were incredibly superstitious. That's hard for us to understand, but that's the way it was. It's hard for the Western mind to grasp that ancient political leaders didn't do anything until they checked with their astrologers and their magicians. They were, they were all involved in the occult. They didn't make any major decision without consulting the guidelines of astrology. And I want to illustrate this for you from Scripture, in fact. If you'll turn to Ezekiel, you just keep going in your Old Testament until you reach Ezekiel chapter 21. 
You'll see the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then you'll get to Ezekiel chapter 21. It's an easy place to remember, Ezekiel 21, verse 21. Now, this is referring to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, and Babylon was the greatest kingdom before the Persian kingdom. In fact, the Persian uh, kingdom followed the kingdom of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was the great king of Babylon. Now, it says in verse 21 of chapter 21, for the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways to use divination. He shakes the arrows, he consults the household idols. He looks at the liver. And you know what all this is talking about? It's, it's kind of bizarre. Nebuchadnezzar apparently didn't know which way to go. He came to a fork in the road and didn't know whether to destroy Jerusalem or whether to destroy a place called Ammon. And he didn't know what to do. So how does he decide what to do? He uses three superstitious methods to determine what he's going to do. The first method is, the first one, it says that he shakes the arrows. What does this mean? It means he casts lots with arrows, like drawing straws today. There were two arrows that were placed in a quiver, and each arrow had the name of either Jerusalem on it or Ammon on it, and the arrow drawn was the one that God said should be attacked. It's as simple as that. So he had these arrows, and he picked one and said Jerusalem, and so he said, okay, so I go to Jerusalem. It also says that there was a second method. He consults the household gods. How he did that, I I don't know, but I don't think we need to uh, understand exactly how he did that. He just did it. He consulted the household gods, very superstitious. He wanted to know what the gods said to do. The third one, his third method is just fascinating. It says he looks at the liver. What he did, and this was a very, very common custom in those days, is that uh, they would examine the liver of animals, mostly sheep, to determine what the gods wanted them to do. There was a name for this practice. It is known as hepatoscopy. Hepatoscopy, and we get our word hepatitis from that. Hepatitis meaning the inflammation of the liver. Hepa, hepa meaning liver, and scope meaning to see. Hepatoscopy. Soothsayers would examine the shape and markings of an animal's liver to see if a proposed plan was favorable or not. So this gives you a little bit of an idea of, of, of what Haman is thinking in his approach to determining what the best day will be to wipe out the Jewish population. Now, you may wonder, why is this so important? So this man is incredibly superstitious. What has that got to do with the story? He's, he's, you may think he's just dumb in doing this, and uh, who cares about it? Listen, it has everything to do to do with all of this. This is fascinating. It has everything to do with God's preservation of his people through providence. Providence is the way God works behind the scenes to accomplish his will. And his will is to preserve the people of Israel. So how does this all fit in? Listen, if Haman is not superstitious, then he makes a simple, intelligent, military decision, and he attacks the Jewish people in a few days or even a few weeks. But he doesn't do that. If he does that, the Jewish people are wiped out from a human standpoint. But he is superstitious, and in the providence of God, the lot falls upon a day in the month of Adar. Now, Adar is the equivalent of our month of March. And Adar, so I say Adar is basically March. Sometimes, though, in our calendar year, it comes out in February uh, and March. That is Purim comes out in February and March, but most of the time it's in March. 
That's the 12th or the last month of the Jewish calendar. But I want you to notice in verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan. Nisan. Now notice when the lot was cast. The lot was cast in the month of Nisan, which is the first month, which is the equivalent of our April. So what does that tell us? Where did the dice fall? It fell on the 12th month Adar. Do you realize what this means? It means that this gives the Jewish people one whole year to prepare for their attack. Listen, the Jewish people have a whole year to prepare themselves for the attack that's coming upon them. A year allows them plenty of time for Haman's plot to be overcome and a counter decree to be issued. That's exactly what happens. A counter decree is is issued and the Jewish people get to defend themselves and Israel is preserved. Now, folks, this is incredible. This is absolutely phenomenal that a man would tell these people that I'm going to attack you in one whole year. Nobody does that. Nobody. General Patton didn't do that. General Eisenhower didn't do that. General Douglas MacArthur didn't do that. Nobody, no Western military leader would ever do this. But we're not dealing with a Western military leader. We're dealing with a Persian leader who didn't do anything except by following the guidelines of astrology. Now, this is so amazing that it has led skeptics to even deny the validity of the book of Esther. Professor L.H. Brockington of the University of Oxford said this, Why, uh, who would plan, he writes, who would plan a vindictive attack on the Jewish residents and then allow them 11 months to elapse, or allow at least 11 months to elapse before its execution, end of quote. See, this man can't even conceive that anyone would do that. It's really because he doesn't understand the thinking and mind and heart of a Persian leader. And I admit it's hard for us to figure out why anybody with any kind of brains would do this, but this was their religion. Do you know what's so exciting about this? I want you to see Proverbs chapter 16. You'll be thrilled by this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, a rather obscure verse found in the Old Testament, but so true and so pertinent to what we're studying. Proverbs 16, verse 33, and I would encourage you to write this down because this is just great. It says this, the lot, or think of dice, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, even the things that appear to be chance or fate or luck are are under the control of God. Men cast the dice in Las Vegas, but don't think that God is in control. They don't realize he's in control. That's what this is saying in essence. I mean, that's incredible. From man's standpoint, it looks like, you know, it's just fate. It's just fortune. It's just luck. But God is saying that every decision is from him. Even the dice are controlled by God. God has everything, even in Las Vegas, under his control. There's nothing that's out of God's providential control. History is strewn with great military leaders whose lives and careers were shaped by one or two poor decisions. Though they may have been brilliant strategists and had superior numbers, or commanded better trained and better equipped soldiers, they made critical miscalculations that ultimately turned the tide of the conflict in which they fought, and even changed the course of history. 
Hannibal the Great delayed several years before advancing on Rome after his conquest of the Roman army at Cannae. Napoleon unwisely advanced into Russia in a season that left little time for victory before the harsh Russian winter set in. Lee determinedly attacked the defensive positions at Gettysburg until his army was broken and could no longer advance toward Washington. Hitler abandoned his invasion plans for Britain and threw himself into the quagmire of the great Soviet expanse to the east, opening up a second battlefront which cost him dearly in the end. These men and many others like them made decisions that proved to be costly errors, but they were taking calculated risks which might have paid great dividends had the strategies succeeded. However, in the case of Haman, this decision to delay the execution of his plan seems to have been driven purely by superstition. The only advantage that he could have possibly gained was the alleged favor of gods toward his plan. In the meantime, he provided nearly an entire year for others to uncover the plot and make plans to thwart it. Only our great God can use so many different methods to accomplish his purposes. Understanding God's will in your life is very important, and that is very closely connected to the understanding that the Bible teaches. It's a major reason why the verse-by-verse radio ministry exists. Our broadcasts are filled with explanations of biblical passages and are a help to countless believers as they seek to understand and apply God's Word. If you would like to help us in this important effort, please consider partnering with us financially. Your gift of any amount will help us keep these biblical studies on the radio. You can give today by calling us at 727-239-0306. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.